Okay, dropping directly in, just like I said. Go watch the first part if you feel like you're missing something, because you are. This is part two of kind of a two-episode saga on a double album. So if you found yourself here and you're confused, you should probably go listen to the previous episode from yesterday. So now we're going to cover Act 2, Set Fire to Saturn. Starting off with Parallel. There's like a clanging kind of tribal feeling here at the start with a bit of a creepy atmosphere. It uh, it's kind of starts off similar to the isolationist, but not entirely. It's, it's, it's a little bit different. Then you get a sick bass line before like some really, really, again, I can't stress how much I hate saying this but some really genty stylings some really genty stuff comes in the first more prominent screams are heard here as well and the chorus is pretty heavy but it's it's satisfyingly melodic as well and again it's rather catchy like this guy's just this guy's just got a flair for these very catchy songs i i, I didn't expect this coming in now i mean of course, coming from Periphery and Tesseract, I mean, they they make very catchy music. Either way, we, we, we progress. There's a nice, clean section here as well. Parts of these songs really would feel home in more widely accessible metal. It's, it's crazy. Like I said, if this guy had been around, like, the mid-2000s, he would have been ahead of his time because he would have brought some of that some of he he would have brought some of that um some of that new prog stuff that we got in 2010 with a lot of those bands I named at the beginning of the last episode and he would have been doing it way earlier now granted Meshuggah was really doing a lot of the gent stuff before anybody else. And this this album is kind of gent. It has gent moments, but it's not totally in that vein. So, I mean, really, technically, I mean, nobody had a leg up on Meshuggah. I mean, Meshuggah created a whole genre inadvertently just by being different. Like, they created a whole genre based around their weird polyrhythms and, you know, the soundscapes that they created over the over their storied career by the way looking forward hopefully there's gonna be numa sugar this year i think i think they're i think they're about ready this year's gonna be this year's gonna be fun i think i think vola is going to do a new one it's time for Lepris to do a new one uh, bu- 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 who else? Let's see. Between the Buried and Me just finished tracking. I'm following them on Twitter and Instagram very closely to, you know, keep my eyes open for, you know, updates, singles, and stuff, because that's, that's my band. Let's see. I think Meshuggah's putting out a follow-up to their uh, Violent Sleep of Reason from last year. Did I say Vola? If I didn't, Vola. I think Kardashev has something new coming this year. Cult of Luna. I'm probably going to look at... They they have another album coming out, which is weird. Because their last one, I thought, came out last year. But 
it turns out it came out 2019 but we've we've got a lot of stuff coming up and even the not so big stuff i'm probably gonna look at i'm probably gonna try and mix it up and look at the bigger stuff in the metal community and then like some really obscure stuff like uh the lilac continuum that i covered a few episodes ago their their album comes out early this year next month actually so does the uh, so does so does the new cult of luna album and then there's also also a deathcore band called abiotic has an album coming out February I think I can't remember when it comes out I might look into that I don't know it's not like super tickling my fancy but you know we'll see anyways so back to the song the structure seems pretty conventional with kind of a long bridge it builds from clean to distorted before dropping out for a, a new heavy riff and then the song cycles back to the chorus and then the beginning riff before ending on clean chords it really feels a bit shorter than it is like it's two minutes shorter than it actually is but it's it's it's, it's a little bit longer than that how long is how long is this song it's eight and a half minutes it doesn't feel like that so next is fireside it has an industrial sounding start just like a lot of the other songs well not a lot but some of the other songs before drums come in the drums here remind me of the beginning of seeing the sorrow by afi the cadence the uh what is that song i can never i can never remember how to pronounce it Yes, I'm Googling. Yes, Wikipedia. Miseria Cantara. I don't know how to pronounce it, but the intro track from uh, Sing the Sorrow. It has that kind of, like, anthemic cadence to it. And that I picked up on that immediately because Sing the Sorrow, is it, it was amazing for me. Because it was one of those things, like, I found AFI right at a time when they were kind of in transition. And it sucks because, like, what came after that, I wasn't a huge fan of. It was just different from what I wanted. Because before Sing the Sorrow, they were like a horrorcore punk band. And then after Sing the Sorrow, they were a little bit more on the, like, you know, radio friendly side. And I mean, December Underground was pretty good. I enjoyed it, but not as much as Sing the Sorrow. Sing the Sorrow. I love it when there's albums that are truly the pivot point and you can hear it in a band's sound. That's what Sing the, Sor Sing the Sorrow was for AFI. But it still had kind of that edge that they had before and that that kind of, the, the kind of feel, the kind of, it kind of set the same setting as their earlier albums. Maybe not quite as dark. And they still had some of that punk fierceness. Now, there's still some after that, but I don't know. I'd never thought there was much, but either way. So, the Sing the Sorrow part is followed by a heavy, kind of, a heavy, really memorable riff. It's basically the main riff. 
is which is kudos to them kudos to him something gent i feel would probably have trouble with sometimes because it's easy to just like do the gent thing i don't i don't want to be crucified for how i talk about gent i enjoy the genre if you will but i feel like it could be easy to fall into the trap of just making songs that sound you know kind of generic i mean like when you listen to periphery they've branched away from that sound but even when they were heavily relying on it they still they still found ways to make riffs that were just they get stuck in your head and so did tesseract i mean (laughs) it's like even all these years ago when i listened to um concealing fate i i have trouble sometimes okay just wanted to make sure i had it right sometimes i call it something else um but sometimes I hear, sometimes I, I think of a riff, and I think of it in a certain part of Concealing Fate, but then when I listen to the whole suite, I I hear it somewhere else. And, you know, that, it, it, it's a little bit of a different thing. It's like, it's not like everything sounds the same, it's just... I, it's just my dumb brain has trouble remembering where things are in some of these songs because one is one of those albums that I listen to relatively religiously but never to the extent of some other ones where I would listen to them like a time and a half before I took them off anyways I feel like I'm rambling now so this one this one kind of breaks away from that gent sound much quicker with some palm muted riffs and I gotta say, Act 2 seems to be the faster, more aggressive of the albums. There really are some fun riffs in this one. It didn't stand out for me at first, but it's grown on me with exposure. Like, that main riff, it was kind of like, okay, this is this is alright. But, you know, after a few more times listening, it's 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 grown on me immensely. I really enjoy it. So there's another extended bridge segment with a nice lead and uh, some nice melody later on. I might be wrong, but it feels like they're ending on a reprise of the intro or chorus a lot on this album, or on these albums. Like, there's a lot of times when they have, like, a bridge near the end, and then they go back to the chorus and or the intro. Just just a note. It's not a bad thing. It could sound really samey, if you pick up on that and it really and it's something that you really focus on but I'm trying not to do that so next up we have empty it begins with keys this time this is a nice change as opposed to like the industrial beatings of machines this one sounds like it may be the ballad of this album using double quotes there you can't see it obviously but yeah because I don't know it's very emotional and glitchy musically it's closer to a ballad than I would say placebo was on the last one placebo just has the feel of a ballad it's not a ballad though and this really makes me think of some of Periphery's early electronic influence and to an extent Nine Inch Nails with the backing beat and then around four minutes in we finally get some distortion 
and when I say peripheries earlier, electronic influence, I mean like on their first album, they had some points like their little interludes where it was like just electronic beats and sounds. That That's all I'm referencing. And then around four minutes in, we finally get distortion. And this is to great effect since we haven't heard it since the last song. There's some kind of weird effect on the vocals at a point here. Not quite vocoder, but something something similar. I don't know. But yeah, that's kind of it's kind of a good effect that you get when they drop off of distortion and then it finally comes back and you haven't heard it for a while. It's not quite like in the new Cryptodira album, The Angel of History. I found that near the end of the album, they had a point where they kind of toned it down. Like they toned down the chaos, they toned down the heaviness, and then like a couple songs later, it comes back and it's 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 furious. It throws you off. It's kind of similar here, but not entirely. Like the last song was heavy and then this one hasn't been heavy yet. And then it gets heavy like right near the end. And ending off, you get a nasty, disgusting, heavy riff. This is structure is similar to similar to Sleep Token with a lot of their songs. Most of the song being calmer until the very tail end with bottom drops out. That's the sleep token formula. You go back and listen to stuff throughout their EPs and sundowning. They're, uh, they're, they're, they have a formula that works, but also they kind of broke that formula a bit with sundowning because before that, I mean, every song was like calm with kind of a poppy feel or a soulful feel. And then at the end, it got stupid heavy. I mean, thread the needle. Fields of Elation is kind of not in that total vein. It's not totally like that, but I mean, like I said, thread the needle. Calcutta. What's the other song from two? I cannot remember. I cannot remember. Anyways, Higher is another one. Yeah. They just kind of built up that sound and people kind of felt like, well, when this album comes out, I hope they kind of break away from that. And I mean, you kind of got to see in action that they did to an extent because they released, this is actually really interesting. They released a song every two weeks over a period of, I guess, 24 weeks. (laughs) And yeah, so you got to hear it all, but like, I don't care. I still bought the album i still own it because i mean it's it's awesome anyways we're not talking about sleep token let's let's move on next song next song so dissociative is next here and it again starts with keys but before long there's a heavy bouncy riff that comes in it does a good job of not falling into the trap of samey sounding riffs here pretty good at um creating new stuff this is definitely the heavier of the two albums at this point i think definitely he's leaning more into the heavier side whereas the first side was it's heavy don't get me wrong it's just this one is more brutal i guess it's not really brutal but it really brings the heavy still sticking with the conventional song structure for the most part which is totally fine and again halfway is the sweet spot where we shift into a bridge 
reprising some ideas from the start of the song. This bleeds into a nice little lead and heavy section before returning to the chorus. And again, the screams are used very sparingly, again to great effect because when they're there, they're more there's more emphasis on them. When they come, sometimes they remind me of uh, Burton Seabell from Fear Factory. So roar more than a scream. Now he does do like growls and <clears throat> he does do like growls and stuff, but like you just hear that roar and immediately it makes me think of Burton. And then the song ends on keys. So next is aphasia. First thing I hear is some sort of strange recording about space and science type stuff. And this makes me think of the very start of LD50 by Mudvayne. This one is an interlude track. It's the interlude track. Keys enter around a minute. It's very simple heavy on the drumming. It makes for a tense bit of music. This is also the most keyboard on the album, I think. At least as far as less repetitive ideas go. Like, whereas on other songs, there's just like a piano riff in there like a piano part that plays over and over this one has like some continuous stuff some bigger bigger ideas and this makes me realize that i like interludes in my gent albums i really do like what periphery did i enjoyed that born of osiris did it a little bit on the discovery admittedly that's kind of my album with them some bands some bands you have a single album that you gravitate towards periphery is not like that i like particularly P1, P2, and Omega, and obviously Hail Stan. We, we can talk about that um, sometime on here with Tesseract. That's one and, ooh, what is it called? Altered State. Thank you, Brain. And then with, like, The Contortionist, uh, Exoplanet, I really do like Intrinsic Language. Is all, really, it's all of them. It's all four. Hopefully, con hopefully, new contortionist this year as well. Like, please, 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 I'm begging you, somebody out there, I want more contortionist. But then when I look at Born of Osiris, like, I kind of enjoyed the stuff from the New Reign. I kind of never really listened to a higher place. The discovery blew me away. And then, okay, um,. Tomorrow We Die Alive is pretty insanely good. It's not quite as good as The Discovery. And then everything after that just, just kind of lost me entirely. Especially, like, what is it, Soul Sphere, the next one? And then the last one was, like, 30 minutes. And I know, I know, I've been conditioned to love my big, long albums. But, man, I was looking forward to Newborn of Osiris, and it was just, like, 25 minutes. I wanted more like mm, I just mm. anyways let's let's move on let's move on let's move on but yeah this this song aphasia made me realize that I like interludes in my gent and that comes from periphery because they did this very well on their first couple albums they might have done it on some of the other albums too in fact I know they did they even did it as recently as hail Stan. So next up we get Infinite, 
This one almost reminds me of Vision Down with the bass in the beginning. When the heavy riffs come in, it really feels like the album is about to wind down. It has some of that outro energy I like, and we're not even there yet. The lyrics even say the end is calling your name. It's like they're it's like they're warming up to the to the the ending. So I kind of like that. And something about the tone of this one really hits hard for me. It sounds extra crunchy. And the riffs repeat a good bit for the first half. It's almost like the whole song is building to a huge crescendo in the next track, hopefully. The clean tone is really nice in this album as well. Kind of reminds me of some of, some of Tool's clean parts. It's got that same kind of feel. And the bass is pretty similar as well. They 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 their their tone their tone reminds me of Tool in places here. And then big surprise, we get the chorus again. I'm not knocking. I'm just saying, you know. A lot of times at the end, they kind of reprise the chorus again at the end. And then there's a nice melodic riff, which again feels like it's like it's leading towards something. Now we get Brimstone, the ultimate track from all of this, from this entire double album, the final track. It's an atmospheric start before some clean guitar and bass start things off properly. This riff reminds me of Lucid Planet or Mantra a little bit. Two bands that I covered recently, so they're like fresh on my mind. So listening to this, I heard that similarity. And I guess maybe the first thing you hear is the featured artist who is like Cutter Fine. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But not a bad voice, though. It does kind of throw me off at the very end. I feel like... I feel like I might have that wrong. It might not be this that that might not be the first guy. They their voices do they are kind of similar, but I feel like the first voice I hear is different enough that I think that's him. Then we get an explosive heavy riff to get things going for real. Then if I'm not mistaken, there's a part in one of the last riffs from the previous track that plays here. Even if it isn't a true reprise, it's enough of a callback to really get me going. I'm getting that feeling of finality here. Around halfway, it feels like the song is still building from where it was before. The break helps build up suspense as you're ready to see what they what they throw at you in the last couple of minutes, where where this goes. And the drums start to build up before going away for a second, before we get an explosive riff and a loud scream. Now this sounds like a climax to me. <laughs> a more energetic rendition of the callback riff from earlier with a sick lead coming in. This before the chorus inevitably comes back in to finish this off for us. It did just kind of end though. So it's like Infinite was building up to be a really was building up to be a good outro track, but it's more, it's less so building up to be a good outro track. It built up towards a good outro track, and then Brimstone did some things right, and then it just kind of ends. I'm not a fan of that. You know, you know me. I want it. I want it to feel like it's over. I want the song to feel like it's the end of the album. 
it should bookend it well. An intro should feel like the beginning, which most most do. And an outro should feel like the end. It should feel like it should feel like one of two things. It should feel like this is it, the album's done. Or it should feel like now listen to it again. <laughs> like sometimes albums make a pretty perfect loop. But either way, that's that's it. That's Act Two set fire to Saturn and that's that's it for interdimensional. That's the end of it. Overall it's a strong offering from a pretty interesting artist. It can drag in places, and there's some ideas that he uses over and over a lot, but, I mean, it's still got plenty of interesting ideas and fun songs to make that a non-issue. I mean, if he wasn't trying to make incredibly, like, catchy music, he failed. If Or if he was trying not to make incredibly catchy music, he failed, because it's very catchy. I mean... This is the kind of stuff where it's like, yeah, I'm I, listening to it a, l- a little bit closer. I realize there's a lot of stuff that is done over and over and over. And there's like ideas and themes and well, not themes, but ideas that happen over and over. And that's OK. It's not it's not to the point of every song sounds the same. It's just ideas being used over and over. I would just say, you know, maybe in the future. I don't know. Cause like the halfway thing, that's that almost seems like a hallmark of the music here. I don't know if it has always been, and it may just be something stupid that I picked up on. But either way, if you're if you're into like heavy alternative music, like definitely pick this up. Definitely check this guy out. He's he's pretty good. It's not like my favorite kind of like gent sound. Hopefully that's the last time I say it, but. You know, it, it's it's very it's very good. I enjoyed it a lot, and you know, I'm definitely gonna stick with this one for a while. I did I did pick up the double album, so I'm definitely gonna be listening more in the future. So standouts, well, the isolationist, vision down, fireside, and empty. I, I tried to keep it even between uh, a ghost and Cephas and set fire to Saturn I tried to keep it even and you know there seemed to be like two tracks from each one that really pricked up my ears and you know luckily it turned out that way and as far as anything I'm not really into on this album there really isn't anything it's all enjoyable none of it's like over the top like just blew me away I I will say that but it's it's great music you know the longer the longer time goes on the less you're gonna have stuff like that so you know there's still a lot of bands out there pulling out crazy stuff and you know i mean hey this this if the i mean i don't think this guy's trying to reinvent the wheel i think he's just trying to make some great music and he ended up doing that but yeah, that's that's kind of it. This this that's the that's this big fat double episode out of the way. <laughs>